Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Pat. So this morning, I thought we could begin to discuss um, really something that has come up in the past. I think you've you've recommended. We haven't explicitly talked about, but um, I'm thinking about... I, I enjoy reading the news. It's, it's part of my, my morning routine, but it's, it's hard to ingest a lot. Um, there's so, there are so many different sources and, and especially today there's, there's a, a plethora of, of, uh, polarities to, to read. And, um, there's just a, a ton to, to give attention to. And something you've said in the past is, uh, you know, you talk about being mindful of that attention, but uh, in particular, paying attention or giving attention to the right things. Um, uh, my phone is designed to suck up and consume my attention. Um, that's what the tech world focuses on. So I am curious, first, the, generally, are there things out there that uh, that have caught your attention? And then maybe as a secondary, it's just how how do you determine? Um, how do you how do you mindfully maybe wisely pick what you pay attention to yeah it's good uh, two good questions we'll take the second one first and pat and i also want to mention to our three listeners that today's podcast is being brought to you by claritin <laughs> we, we were both out of town pat was out of the country i was out the outer banks we get back the first day we're back in maryland mm, good to be back that's right that's right so uh, second question first. Two um, books I think we've always we mentioned before, but are worth reading. Uh, number one is "How the News Makes Us Dumb." Yeah, by John Somerville. So again, any of you who have not read that, it's easy, it's quick, and uh, I think it will. Um, he's a good writer. Easy, easy to read. "How the News Makes Us Dumb," and um, so that was very informative for me. So I began to read selectively um and that's where the second book is how to read a book and uh you can google that one uh the uh, mortimer adler a d l e r mortimer adler wrote the book you're on a lot of books but this one was just helpful to understand sometimes you can be uh, even start a book and frankly it's not it's not very helpful put it down you don't have to you don't you're not obligated to finish a book when you start it and uh, you can always pick it up later. But it also helps you to read thoughtfully, imaginatively, slowly. So how to read a book has helped me to be more selective in the books I read because we have limited attention span. And because we have uh, the ability to pay attention, I would view it as a, uh, uh, listeners, I'd view it as a very precious commodity. And if you burn through it, you've, you've lost it for the day. And if you burn through it day after day by just mindlessly scrolling through your phone, you actually shallow out your neural pathways and eventually you won't have the ability to pay attention to 
much of anything. So having said all that, and of course, in the, the uh, politics, which is an inherently good thing, by the way, they are, they're savvy to this, and that's why over the last 25 years, the sound bite, familiar with that, has actually yeah. shrunk because they rely on studies for how long people can pay attention. And if their studies are correct, um, most of us haven't paid any attention to what I just said. <laughs> it's, just, it's, 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 just, it's crazy world. So having said all that, yeah, the only way you can break that is you have to read selectively. So I do that too. I read selectively. I uh, don't feel obligated to go through the entire periodicals of the dailies that I read. And I try to, I'm aware that uh, the news inherently makes you dumb unless it's actually news worthy. Uh, One thing that came out this, uh, this week and uh, it's in the column on Monday, August 21, is uh, the case of uh, a lovely Christian couple, Michael and Kitty Burke, and they had applied for a foster care license in uh, Massachusetts. So we're going to talk about that. Had you read that article? Or are you aware of this couple? I'm not, no. Yeah, I, so you, I have not been giving attention to this, as I probably uh, ought to be. Well, it's okay. It's, there's a little needle in the haystack. Actually, it, was not, <laughs> it wasn't a needle so much. It's actually something that we're going to spend a little more time on. If you read the column, you can get the full picture. But uh, he, uh, he, uh, Michael served in Iraq as a Marine, and uh, Kathy is a former paraprofessional for kids with special needs. So they sought through the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families Foster Care Program. They sought a license. And, of course, and there's a review team that goes through all that. And the Burks in filling it out that said they'll accept children of any race, culture, ethnicity, special needs, siblings even. And uh, the state was uh, very generous in their praise of Mike and Kitty. In fact, it, there's a excerpt from the report. Kitty and Mark, uh, Mike are devoutly Roman Catholic and not only attend church with a regular frequency, but both also work for local churches as musicians. Uh, the author of the study called the Bergs, quote, lovely people. But, and here's the big but. They uh, were rejected because they, quote, would not be affirming to a child who identified as LGBTQIA. The author of the study added, quote, their faith is not supportive and neither are they. So the Bergs were rejected even though they were a lovely couple. Hmm. Now, why should we pay attention to this? <laughs> well, one, I mean, the foster, the history of the foster care system definitely has uh, a deep connection to the Catholic Church, doesn't it? Oh, sure. I mean, right. yeah, it, um, <clears throat> and the Alms House, A-L-M-S, yeah. uh, were all developed uh, in the Middle Ages and before. So, I mean, um, big picture, what's fascinating about that is is it almost feels like another another domain, in this case, taken. taken. Um, that's kind of, I think, it has some profound thoughts to it. But immediately... 
uh, obviously there's a, there's a, a religious liberty aspect to this. I think that's interesting and of note. Yeah, there you go. That's the biggie. Yes, it's... Um, so in 2015, the Supreme Court ruled in Obersfeld versus Hodges that the uh, state could not deny marriage license to same-sex couples. So that's the rule of law. Right. Justice Kennedy allowed that uh, those who oppose same-sex marriage, that would include the Burks, did so based on, quote, decent and honorable premises. And he wrote in his majority ruling that the, their First Amendment rights still stand. Really? Yeah. See, wow. Justice uh, Alito, Samuel Alito, who wrote the dissent, he warned this. Obersfeld, quote, will be used to vilify Americans who are unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy. In the case of its opinion, the majority compares traditional marriage laws, listen carefully, compares traditional marriage laws that denied equal treatment for African Americans and women. It compares marriage laws to laws that deny equal treatment for African Americans and women. The implications of this analogy will be exploited by those who are determined to stamp out every vestige of dissent. That's an eerie foreshadow. Well, he wasn't finished writing. He goes on. I assume that those who cling to old beliefs, I love that language. Remember President Obama, those who cling to their guns and religion. Hmm. I assume that those who cling to old beliefs will be able to whisper their thoughts in the recesses of their homes. But if they repeat those views in public, they will risk being labeled as bigots and treated as such by governments, employers, and schools. And here we are. Well, it's to your point. A couple of things. I've often heard people say, well, you know, the Constitution talks about uh, freedom of religion, which it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> what does the uh, First Amendment actually say? Well, the, what are the, What's the rights? Uh, I was, yeah, I don't know exactly word for word, but it, the First Amendment talks about free speech. No, it doesn't. Really? The First Amendment rights. Uh, no, the, um, the, uh, the included in their amendment rights. What does it say regarding religion? It's not freedom of religion. That's important for you. If we get nothing more out of today's podcast, this would be helpful, listeners. It's not freedom of religion. By the way, uh, freedom to worship is mentioned in the uh, Soviet Constitution. Um, it's, in the, it's in Russia's Constitution. Hmm. That's not the American Constitution, the U.S. Constitution. It is the uh, free exercise of religion. What's the difference? Well, I don't know if I could say it eloquently, but obviously the existence of a religion is different than the exercising, the actual actions or, or performing of a religion. Mm -hmm. Where do you exercise your religion, Pat? By the way, listeners, Pat, claims to be a Christian, so let's just assume he is. Uh, <laughs> where do you exercise yours? 
Yeah. Well, certainly in my home, that's true, but also in a church, a physical place, in the workplace. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, generally, I bet you you aim to be 24-7, 365. <laughs> yeah. That's what the uh, Bill of Rights, the free exercise of religion. Now, the Burks, if they hold to uh, Roman Catholicism, understand that there is a spot-on distinction or difference that's made in regards to that. And you can just read the catechism. Because... um, a child who identifies as LGBTQI uh, is made in the image and likeness of God. We respect that person as an individual made in the image of God. But we do not affirm because respect and affirmation are not identical. They're two different things. So I respect someone whom I disagree with on certain issues because they are made in the image of God. But I do not affirm that difference if it does not abide with what God has revealed. And the same goes for me. So for me, to me, it's very simple. But if I were to uh, cheat my employer, but I ask you because I feel that employer is unfair, and I ask you to affirm me, or um, what's the phrase today? Um, Well, these two get confused, and so when people say, you don't respect me, you disrespect me. No, that's called no. It means I don't affirm that behavior, but I do respect you as an individual made in the image and likeness of God. I simply dissent from the uh, reigning view that uh, this is good. Now, I understand, to our three listeners, well, I mean, I understand in the larger world, the ability to pay attention to what I just went through is lost on over 95% of people. They, they don't have the attention span to go, okay, Okay, I understand there's a big difference between respect and affirmation. The Burks are turned down because, quote, they would not affirm a child who identifies as LGBTQIA. Be careful, we're going to run out of letters before long. Um, Well, of course they cannot. Because if they do that, then they don't affirm that they are practicing Catholics. Yeah. Well, so here's here's the the first flag that comes to mind that I think is brought up with this and goes back to your kind of introduction of this case, which is there there's an extent to which we can exercise religious freedom here or exercise a religion period. Mm-hmm. Like obviously there are bounds to that you know, sure. within the constitution and framing particularly, you know, uh, same-sex marriage as a civil rights issue starts to get us in that direction of, you know, now we're, we're, that becomes the bounds because this is, this is a 
core to a person's identity, et cetera. Um, how, how do you, how do you address that piece? I mean, I, like there are religions that, that include shadowed sacrifice in the history mm-hmm. of the world. Right. That's so right. That's we're not right. saying the constitution <laughs> That's right. has, it doesn't give you has the balance. free exercise is not unfettered freedom. Yeah. It is that which a society or the, uh, courts have ruled actually it's, it's a should be a societal norm that um these are the things uh which do not make for a flourishing society child sacrifice so on and so forth so civil rights were a recognition <clears throat> that all uh, races are made in the image of god because that actually civil rights women came out of the church and uh, therefore any discrimination is unlawful and so you do not have the uh, free exercise of religion does not allow you to be a bigot now that doesn't require that a church therefore has to hire an atheist the free exercise holds intention that you cannot discriminate Yet at the same time, free exercise understands that a college, a Christian college, can discriminate as to uh, who teaches. So um, an atheist can't come along and say, I'm being discriminated against because this college, uh, Grove City won't hire me, and they're a Christian college. Well, of course they won't hire you. So the Constitution and the and to date the Supreme Court has been uh, mindful of that and respectful of that. And I think that by the way, uh, the Burks have filed suit and Beckett Fund or Beckett Law, who has a who has a good track record of winning these cases, is appealing. And I think in the long run the Burks will probably win. But here's a reason why for a Christian to pay attention to these things. I'm going to give you a little quick history lesson, but I'm going to try to do it in sound bites. Hmm. For 2,000 years, Christians have held to uh, what was articulated by Augustine. Uh, wouldn't be 2,000 years then, but give me a break. That there's a difference between church and civil government. Augustine's two cities recognize that church and government, or state, have two different domains, and each has a proper function. But over the centuries, what developed... Her imagery was the church was imagined as a garden and the state as a wilderness. Now, don't think um, garden good, wilderness bad. Um, there are four or five different types of aspect of wilderness in scripture. Some have uh, redemptive purposes. But the fact of the matter is that the, the mega imagery here is the church is a garden, the state is a wilderness. And what developed out of that was a view that there is an appropriate wall of separation between the church and the state. Have you heard of that? Oh, of course. Yeah. And uh, the reason the wall was there was to keep government weeds from encroaching on the garden of the church. And it was dissenters who more often than not 
were those who kept the state's weeds in check when they began to encroach on the church. That's the Burks. And in this case, so maybe why is that still worth paying attention to? Well, why it's important to, be, to pay attention to is um, there are appropriate times for people to dissent. Uh, his, Christians have had to do that in the past um, and many times in epochs. So I don't know where the Western world is trending on issues of gender. Well, I do right now. I know where it's trending, but that's pretty obvious. I don't know where it will ultimately end up. But we've talked about this before, Pat. The gender confusion has only increased. And by and large, most of the Christians I know can't even give a compelling summation of why male, female are the only two genders and why male, female marriage. So we're not exactly helping clear up. So what is implied in Obersfell is marriage laws, traditional laws, have been equated with the denial of equal treatment for African Americans and women in the past. That's the majority view. There's, There's an implicit equating of those two. Well, do we allow discrimination against African Americans today? No. No. Do we allow discrimination against women? No. We're on the we're trending toward any discrimination against those in the uh, LGBTQIA community is unlawful. Now, I'm not sensationalizing this. But another thing to pay attention to, Christians, is 90, 85 years ago, Franklin Roosevelt was sort of protege of Woodrow Wilson. Remember, Woodrow Wilson just found that the Constitution was just such a barrier to his progressive agenda that um, he, he, he really wanted to rework it. That wasn't going to happen. So it was FDR picking up that mantle saying, well, one way to rework it is to pack the court. What's that mean? Assume he's referring to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And what's yeah. pack the court mean? Take justices that are specifically, uh, you know, one-sided in their mindset, coming from either a firm left or a firm right, and load the court with those justices. If they're called progressive, they're not. <laughs> they're neither. They uh, they're not conservative. Pack means add, add to the number of justices to get the majority you want. Mm-hmm. Now, what did President yeah, Biden up... set up in his commission? Well, his... yeah, that came up recently, That's not too right. long ago. Yeah, 
he set up a commission to consider yep. adding to the number of justices. Yep, yep. Again, these are um, this is like a rising sea levels. The average the average person doesn't even notice them. You don't even notice them. And you know, and, and second, it's easy to think, not my problem. I'll be gone. You'll be gone. So we lose this shoreline. Well, I won't be here. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, these, this is a, an eroding shoreline because, um, okay, so let's say packing the court is uh, ruled unconstitutional, which it was in Roosevelt's case. That was actually was the beginning of his decline of the efficacy of his administration was he went too far and was uh, sort of caught with his hand in the cookie jar on that one and and um, and so his programs began to be peeled back because of that. Um, well, if you can't pack it, you can see why it has become such a contentious issue when a Supreme Court justice retires. Oh yeah, certainly. And why this court has been so vilified yep. by progressives in fact that what's more troubling to me is it has been the the attempt is to delegitimize the united yeah. states supreme court yeah which is stunning worth ripping down the institution ripping it down yeah. because the rulings have not been in accord with the progressive agenda yeah. which by the way what just happened in israel uh, I don't know. I wasn't paying Same attention. Same thing with the Supreme Court. It was basically delegitimatized. Why? Because the damn thing keeps getting in the way of my agenda. Mm. Wow. So what do you do? Delegitimatize it. Yeah. Well, then what are we left with? Because right now, Congress is synonymous with dysfunctional. Name the last important legislation that came out of the United States Congress. Yeah. It's 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 a farce. So if you delegitimatize the United States Supreme Court, what are you left with? Mm. <laughs> the uh, executive office. There you go. Mm-hmm. And when and uh, we have two right now leading candidates who probably would both enjoy that. Yeah. The uh, previous and the one uh, one now exemplified the fact the number of times he throws out executive orders that he even admits will probably be struck down by the court. The latest is in the never-ending attempt to win votes by canceling, forgiving uh, <clears throat> student debt, which is not the right word because as a Christian, you understand Forgiveness came because somebody had to pay the debt. <laughs> yeah, yep. and uh, and even that is already being challenged by the courts and will probably be thrown out. But it, what it is is just it's the attempt at executive overreach, executive uh, branch of the government. Hence, a seemingly small and insignificant case. It's worth it for Christians to pay attention to, to the very least to pray, but also bear in mind that a country gets the leaders it deserves. 
And when we, as especially in the Protestant evangelical, abandoned these spheres of domain, you know, think, for example, there's not a Protestant evangelical on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Thank God, the Alito and others, they're Catholic, and they're, and they're practicing Catholics. Because there is a, for whatever you feel about the Catholic Church, you at least have to tip your hat that they have educational institutions that actually teach this stuff and therefore inspire and train jurists who can think Christianly about the U.S. Constitution. Justice Alito being one of those. Yeah. There's, uh, there's an immediacy to this in the sense that I think some people may actually negatively confuse what you're saying and what they can do. And we've talked about this before. But mm-hmm. the reality is most uh, who might hear this, I'm sure three listeners are the exceptions, but most who might <laughs> stumble upon this, you know, could hear that and think there's something that I must do. And I think that is true. As you said, one of those things is is pray and pray for our nation because we, we want the flourishing of others. It's not necessarily that we're a Christian nation, but we do. We want the flourishing of others and we want this nation to flourish. We are a part of it. But also to uh, to lament because, as you said, you know, we get the leaders we deserve. And especially as Americans, you know, we have played a part in this society. And so there is a, 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 lament, a lamentation to that. I think for sure there's, there's a lament. Um, but then also you start to open the door into questioning. Why is it that there is no presence of an evangelical on the court? As you said, Mike, like why, what is, what is to this abandonment of institutions? What does that mean? And we have, whatever, a hundred podcasts on that. And you have mm-hmm. hundreds of uh, commentaries, but there's, there's an important piece there. This, this, the beginning of a stumble down a deep, deep rabbit hole. But those I think are all the steps that prelude much action from the common listener. Um, that's, that's, I think something important because there, there is an acceptance of that is there's not much that Pat Brown as the common man can do to go change what's happening in the Supreme Court right now. That's right. And yet, there is. Because yeah. as Paul said, pray for those in civil authority. Pray. It's yeah. a proper domain, Augustine said. I do think the uh, growth of the uh, metaphor of the uh, wall and the weeds in the garden is helpful. Um, we might close with this. We'd encourage listeners, if you have more interest in this, Best book I've ever read on this is by Philip Hamburger. You should be able to remember that name. Uh, the book's called Separation of Church and State, Harvard University Press, 2002. You can Google it. And uh, Philip Hamburger. Uh, it was it was revelatory for me. I had never, <clears throat> I always thought church and state, yeah. You know, it's to keep uh, church out of the state. And he absolutely flips the equation and says, nope. It's to keep the keep the state out of the church, but it's telling who's won the framing argument on that one. 
at this time. Because most people imagine it yep. exactly opposite. Yeah. So you might you might enjoy reading that book. We would encourage Pat and I would encourage you to pray and stay tuned and keep listening to our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>